All righty, we're going to jump into the word. I wanted to give some quick mom facts out of the Bible because as I was studying, there's so many moms throughout the word of God. But a couple of the, the facts I thought were interesting. <clears throat> the mom, a mom was the first recorded in the word of God to speak the name Yahweh. A mom was the first person to whom the angel of the Lord appears. A mom wrote the first hymn of the new covenant. A mother is the first to ask for a miraculous sign of the Messiah. Through a, matter, or through a mother's obedience, a savior was brought into the world. And mothers are a direct threat to the enemy because of the life that you bring into the world. So I think that's pretty cool in the word of God that moms were used in such powerful ways that it was even a mom through her obedience that, that brought Jesus into the world, that brought the miracle that was going to take place for all of us into the world was a mom. So I just thought that, that was super cool. <clears throat> my mom or my dad has been preaching on Joshua. We've been talking about um, transitional wisdom. And so I want to keep going with wisdom this morning, but we are going to look at wisdom through the lives of seven ladies in the Bible. Okay, it's Mother's Day, so we're going to look at wisdom from a woman's perspective. But I need everybody to know, guys, you can't tune out. Because every point of wisdom that we're going to cover applies to everyone. All throughout the Bible, you read Proverbs, you read Psalms, wisdom is referred to as a she. So put that in your notes, such as the free point for whatever you want to use it for. Wisdom is a she in the Bible, it's not a he. And so we can celebrate that as mothers, as, as women this morning, that wisdom is in fact a she. So we're going to look at seven women in the Bible, and we're going to look at seven attributes of wisdom that I believe are life-changing, that I believe are powerful if we grab hold of them. Now, I say seven, as I was going back through these this morning, I'm like, oh man, there's so much in every one of these. We might get to one point of wisdom in one mom. But I won't talk too fast, but we got we to gotta keep rolling. So guys, just look over at your wife's notes, because she can keep up with my mouth. And that's how you're going to keep up. If you don't have a wife or something, sit next to a girl somewhere. You don't know. It could be destiny. Like, I don't know. It's whatever. All right. So we're going to talk about wisdom. Um, the first lady that I would like to look at, and we're not going to read the story. I'm going to paraphrase the story, and then I'm going to give you the point of wisdom, and I'll give some scripture to back that up. Sound good? All right. So the first lady that I want to look at is... Sarah. Okay, I want to look at it, Sarah. And when we look at the story of Sarah, Sarah and Abraham, they did not have children. And God promised them a child. Well, then we see that Sarah, when God told Abraham this, Sarah laughs. Okay, anybody in here ever like read a scripture and you're like, <laughs> right. Or you hear something in church and we're like, yeah, that applies to everybody but me. Or you hear something maybe directly in your prayer time that you're like, yeah, God has this for me. And then you laugh and you're like, yeah, not possible. It's, it's not going to roll that way. And so all of us have experienced this. Sometimes we're like, why would she laugh? Okay, so many of us have totally laughed where we read something and we're like, it's not, not possible. That is not going my way. Okay, so Sarah's in this. She laughs. Well, then from the point that, that they're told that they're going to have children, that they're told that there's going to be generations, they're going to be the father of many nations, to the point that Isaac actually comes into the world, is 25 years. Okay, that's a long time. That is a very long time. And so they have this whole season, and so many of us have faced these same seasons where we feel like we know that God spoke something over our life. We know that God has a plan for us. We know that God has promised us something, 
and that's all we know <laughs> because it hasn't come yet and we're just waiting. And so there's Abraham and Sarah and they're in the same boat. They God has promised them something, but it's just there and they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And so I wanna encourage us, the point of wisdom with this is that wisdom waits on God faithfully. Wisdom waits on God faithfully. That no matter who we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter what walk of life we're in, we are all going to face seasons that we are gonna have to wait. We are all going to face seasons where there may be a delay to what we're asking for. That we're praying for it, we're believing for it, we're doing everything that we know to do, but we're just not seeing that thing. There's always going to be a season. Every one of us are gonna walk through some sort of season of waiting. But in this waiting, I don't want you to lose heart. Bible says to do, do not grow weary while doing good. I want to read that um, in Galatians 6, 9. And I'm going to read um, in the Amplified today. So it'll be up on the screen. You can follow along in your translation. But I'm going to read. I just like how the Amplified phrases some of these. So Galatians 6, 9. In seasons of waiting. says, let us not grow weary or become discouraged in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap if we do not give in. For at the proper time, we will reap if we do not give in. See, in these seasons of waiting on God, in these seasons that we don't see what may be that thing that we're praying through. See, wisdom waits faithfully. It doesn't sit back and make a backup plan. We saw what happened with Sarah. She did sit back and make a backup plan. We saw that. And there was still God's grace and she still received the promise, but not without consequence. And so in these seasons of waiting, that we wait on God faithfully. We do not become discouraged. We do not give in. We do not lose heart because wisdom waits. And we can refer back to even where we're at with Joshua and the 40 years that he had to wait to go into the promised land because of decisions that weren't even his. But that waiting period wasn't just a sit back and hope life gets better. When the Bible tells us to wait on the Lord is an active pursuit of him. That while I'm waiting on him, I'm growing in him. While I'm waiting on him, I'm growing in the word. When I'm waiting on him, I'm growing in my relationship with him. And I am actively waiting in each season. Even when I don't see it, even when it gets hard, I choose to wait. But in waiting, I choose to grow my relationship with him. In waiting, I choose to grow my knowledge of who he is and apply that wisdom to my life. That's what waiting actually looks like. Let's look at Isaiah 40, 31. But those who wait for the Lord, now this part right here, who expect, look for, and hope in him, will gain new strength and renew their power. They will lift up their wings and rise up close to God like eagles, rising towards the sun. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not grow tired. Those that wait, but those that wait expecting to see what God said. Those that wait expecting. Did you guys know that there's not a promise in the Bible that God hasn't followed through with? There's no such thing. There isn't a promise in the Bible that God hasn't followed through with. And the same is true in our life. There is not one promise in the word of God that God will not follow through. It says that his word cannot return empty. That he can't go back on his word and he can't fail. It's impossible. 
And so in those seasons of waiting, if God said it, it doesn't matter what we're facing. It doesn't matter what the facts say. It doesn't matter what the circumstances say. If God said it, we're going to see it. We get to choose what our season of waiting is going to look like. It can be horrible. We can be miserable. We can whine. We can be frustrated. We can be mad. We can be emotional wrecks. We can be like mad at God. We can go off the deep end or... We can spend that time waiting that we are actively pursuing God going, I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. I'm going to see it. And I'm ready to see it. And I expect to see it. And we stay in that season of waiting in faith. Or we can do it the opposite. So we have a choice in our season of waiting. So my question in this is that what impossible are you believing for? What impossible are you believing for? Each and every one of us has the opportunity to believe something beyond what we can get in our own strength. Here's my question. If everything that we're believing for in life, we can do our own, why do we need God? If everything you're believing for right now, you can do in your own strength, you don't need God. Which tells me that you'll do it without God. But if everything that we're believing for in life is bigger than us, then I have to depend on God to get there. And so in our seasons of waiting, see, this was something that was bigger than Sarah. This was something bigger than Abraham. And they had a season of waiting here that they had to depend on God. So what impossible are you believing for? What impossible are you looking for? If you are hit with delay, let God do what he's doing. You don't know what he's doing behind the scenes. You have no clue what's happening. But our job is to trust him. Our job isn't just to understand. So let's go to our, our next point of wisdom. So now we're going to look at a, a girl named Rebecca. Okay, so this is the wife of Isaac. But I want to just kind of, we're going to go to the story before she actually met Isaac. Because I believe that there's a very important fact here that, that each and every one of us can apply to our lives as far as wisdom is concerned. So Abraham is looking for a wife for Isaac. And so he sends his servant, and he says, I need you to go find a wife for Isaac, but I need her to be of our people. So this guy takes 10 camels, and he travels 500 miles, and he comes to a well where he needs to water his camels, okay? And so he gets there, and before he gets there, he goes, God, I mean, I think this guy was just sick of traveling and wanting to go back quickly and not be, like, out forever. Like, he just, I mean, he was a guy, so he just wanted the black and white. Like, I can't read between the lines. I just need yes or no, God. That's what I'm looking for. So he prays something directly. I mean, a guy would pray, right? Okay, women, if you were going to look for a wife for your son, your list would be how long? <laughs> right? Okay, she can be this tall and this personality and this background, and then she needs this and this and this and this. Okay, guys are like, I just need her to water my camels. <laughs> that is seriously what he prayed for. That's all he said. He goes, I just, the girl that waters my camels will be Isaac's wife. Okay, like... <laughs> Like, what if it's Helga? Like, I don't know. It's, that's ridiculous. Like, let's get something. Okay, so he gets there. And of course, God's like, I understand he's a man. So we'll make this simple. Let's just give him the answer. So he gets there. And there's Rebecca. And Rebecca's drawing water out of this well. And she says, can I get you something to drink? And he says, yeah. So she gets him some water. 
And she goes, hey, let me water your camels. Okay, when you read the story, he doesn't ask if she's married. He doesn't ask any of those important questions. Like, what if she was married? Like, he practically abducted her and took her to another country. But it's okay. She watered his camel, so it must have been God. But the, cam- the, the camel watering is the part I want to focus on. Because she, she dips in. You have to go. So in these wells, you actually had to, like, walk down these stairs. And you had to get the water out. Well, each bucket held about three gallons of water. Okay, so I mean, it's fairly good size. Like I water my horses in five gallon buckets and usually I wait until the proper time when someone's walking by and I'm like, ugh. (laughs) And then they carry my buckets for me. (laughs) Okay, she did not do so. Okay, three gallons. So she brings him some water. Well, then she goes back to water his camels. How many, who remembers, how many camels did he bring? 10, 10 camels. Each camel drinks 30 gallons of water. <laughs> okay? You can do the math how many times she went down to make sure that this guy's camels were watered. Part of me, I'm like, what a low life. Like, no, I won't go with you to marry whoever you want me to marry after I just worked for you. But on the other end, I want us to look at the work ethic of Rebecca. Okay, she doesn't know this guy. She has nothing to gain from this. This is behind the scenes. She has stuff to do. But she's given it her all to serve somebody else. Behind the scenes. She wasn't worried about making a statement. She wasn't worried about being owed something. She was simply giving her all behind the scenes. And in turn, became the wife of Isaac, the the daughter-in-law of Abraham. Like, how cool is that? But I just wonder, what if she didn't want to water his camels? What would she have missed out on? Now, all of you are like, I don't, I'd like to get married too, but I don't even know anybody that owns a camel. (laughs) The the point of that is not to go water somebody's camel so you can live happily ever after. The the point of it, and the, the wisdom point here, is wisdom gives all instead of trying to be all that. Wisdom gives all instead of trying to be all that. Too many times we're concerned with trying to be all that. And we can do this two ways. And moms, again, it's Mother's Day. Okay, this applies to everybody. But moms, I want to I speak directly to you for a minute. Sometimes we have this misconception that we have to be all things to all people. That it is my job, the happiness of the world rests on my shoulders. Any moms have ever felt that way? Yeah? Okay, it's a, we're like, man. So there's this, there's this misconception. When I say that wisdom gives all, it's not what I'm referring to. Okay, the other side of this that I'm not referring to is that when wisdom gives all instead of trying to be all that is that wisdom doesn't put on an appearance. Okay, random side. I'm kind of hooked on them lately, but the Instagram mom. Okay. Women, you all know what I'm talking about. There's the Instagram mom, and you're like, how is she so perfect all the time? Okay, her kids, like, she always posts the pictures of, like, the super cute little snacks that she makes every day for them. Okay, who has time to do that? Like, order bulk fruit snacks from Amazon or something. But, so there's, like, these perfect snacks, and they're always just adorable children that probably never fight. And then she always posts, like, in her videos with her Starbucks every morning. 
and then her perfect makeup and perfect hair. We all know the Instagram mom, okay? So there's this appearance that we try to put out that like, I'm all that. I got this. And in all of our lives, we all know that feeling. We've either done it or know somebody that does it, right? That I've got to be all that. I have the appearance of everything's perfect. I have the appearance of being perfectly strong no matter what comes my way. I have the appearance that I am put together and nothing can shake me. I have the appearance of this perfect Christian. I have the appearance, and we put on this appearance of being all that, but behind the scenes, we're really not. But then, in front of the scenes, there's this appearance. So two sides. We can't be all things to all people, but then we can't have the appearance of all that. Wisdom gives all. Rebecca, as we see in this story, she put everything, all of her effort into these menial tasks behind the scenes that nobody was going to see that was going to get her no recognition. And that's how she lived life. And there are so many things in our life that we feel like don't matter. The little things that don't make a difference. The little things, it doesn't matter if I really pray for my kids or I don't. It doesn't matter if I spend time in prayer and spend time in the word or I don't. It doesn't matter if I keep the house clean and keep up the, the laundry. It doesn't matter if I, and you can fill in the blank with whatever it is, that there's these menial tasks. I'm trying so hard to be an encouragement to my husband. I'm trying so hard to grow and be this Proverbs 31 woman, but I feel like it doesn't matter. I feel like I'm getting nowhere. I feel like I'm giving everything but it doesn't make a difference. And I want you to know that all of those things make a difference. They may not make a difference to the public eye. They may even be frowned upon in the public eye, but they make a difference to God. And I want to read a scripture right here. Um, Colossians 3, 23 and 24. Also still in the Amplified. Okay, I've been teaching Bible study and I actually got to look up scriptures. I forget that I can just read up here. Whatever may be your task, Work at it heartily from the soul as something done for the Lord and not for men. Knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord and not from men that you will receive the inheritance, which is your real reward. The one whom you are actually serving is the Lord Christ, the Messiah. In whatever you do, do it heartily as unto God and not unto men. So, Instead of having the mindset that I'm just trying to keep everybody afloat, I'm just trying to keep everybody happy, or I need to have this appearance, what if we went all in to say, I'm all in to be the person God created me to be? I'm all in just to my relationship with Christ. I'm all in at my job. I give all. I'm going to be the first one there. I'm going to be the last one to leave. My vehicles are going to be stewarded. My finances are going to be stewarded. I'm going to do all that I possibly can in every area of my life to do it as I do it unto God and not as I do it unto men. That if we switch, that wisdom gives all. Those things behind the scenes. I mean, we know the stories of the, the women that came and they poured out the expensive perfume on the, on the feet of Jesus and the people around them said, what, what are you doing? You're wasting something. You're wasting something precious. You're wasting, you're wasting these things. So it was this thing behind the scenes, this I will give everything to you behind the scenes because I know when I give everything to you, that's where my real reward comes from. I can't give everything to everybody else and expect to get any reward. But these ladies knew that and they were criticized for this all that that they were giving, this all in that they were giving. Every single one of us in here has the opportunity to live 
in a way that we give our all, or we'll live in a way where we're all that. When we live in a way that we give our all, Christ is glorified and people are our purpose. When we live in a way that we're all that, we're glorified and we're our own purpose. That's the two ways that we'll know. All right, next one. You don't, oh, I had one more line there. You don't have to be all that to give your all. What can God do with your all? Now we'll go to the next one. Okay, this one, this one is Jacobed. Okay, so this is Moses's mom. Okay, and they lived in a time where in Egypt, okay, they're all slaves and they're generations of slaves. So it's not like they were just the only slaves in society. They were born into generations of slaves and generations to follow, okay? So this was the culture at that time. And about the time that she's about to give birth to Moses, Pharaoh makes a decree that every male baby that's born has to be taken and thrown in the river so that basically the crocodiles will eat them. The Bible is so gentle. So That is what the the goal was. Every male baby was going to be thrown into the river. Okay? So they're living, they're they're born into this this culture. Now here's the point, and then I'll, I'll build back to the story. But wisdom doesn't let culture determine destiny. Wisdom doesn't let culture determine destiny. Okay, and this can be for us personally, this can be moms, this can be for dads, whatever you want to look at it. Because at this point in Egypt, culture said, you're a slave. Culture said the end is death. Culture said you're going to be just like everyone else because everybody's a slave. That's all we've ever been and that's all you'll ever be. Culture says that the enemy wins and culture says there's no way out of this. That's what culture said in this circumstance with Jacobet, okay? And so she has the choice here. She can either let the culture determine her destiny and the destiny of her children or she can allow God to determine her destiny and the destiny of her children. That is her choice. We all have the same choice. Wisdom does not let the culture determine our destiny. And she, she builds this basket. She puts pitch on the basket to actually repel the crocodiles. And so she, she does all of this. And it ends up that Moses is rescued by Pharaoh's daughter. The dude trying to kill him, his daughter rescues the baby. And then Moses' mom ends up being the person to raise him in the palace. Culture said, you're a slave. Moses was raised in the palace. Culture said, there's no hope. Moses made it just fine. Culture said that there's no way out of this. Culture said the enemy wins. Each and every one of us, again, have the choice that we will allow culture to determine our destiny or we will allow God to determine our destiny. And I want to say something very powerful about Jacobet here. Again, it was the culture of slaves. I want you to to think about the culture that we live in. The culture that we live in ourselves, how hard it is not to give in to all the things going on around us. The unknowns, the knowns, the hustle and bustle, the busyness, the, the constant frustration, the constant fear. How hard it is to not just be like everyone else. And then you put kids in the picture. And so then we have kids. How do they not become like the world? How the world wants to take them out. The enemy has a plan for my kids. The enemy has this. The enemy, how do I know that they're even going to make it? Jacobet's faced with these same things, but she decided, I choose to trust God. I choose that God's going to determine. And it doesn't tell us how she did this. I wish it did. But the Bible doesn't tell us how she went about raising these kids. But I want to, the Bible says that you'll be known by your fruit. And her three kids, she had three, Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. 
Miriam was the first worship leader. Moses was the deliverer of the Israelites. And Aaron was a priest. None of them were a slave. Three kids in a culture determined to take them out that rose above and became the first of so many things. How powerful, how powerful. She trusted God. And we have the same choice that I can trust God with my destiny, I can trust God with the destiny of my kids, or I can sit back because it's just the way it is and it's the way it's always been and I've never seen it done any different. And so I can't trust the word of God. Culture can decide. So those are our two options. Culture's gonna decide or we're gonna decide. So who or what is determining your destiny right now? Or have you allowed to determine your destiny? All right, next one, Rahab. Okay, we've talked about Rahab a few times. Uh, my dad has over the last few weeks that Rahab hid the spies, right? So that they could actually get in, spy out Jericho. She hid the spies, but then she says something important. And I'll go back through these and list out where they're found in the Bible so you can read them in your own time. You can read the whole stories. But she says something to these spies. When they come in, she declares to them exactly who God is and how God's gonna save them. Okay, Rahab speaks this. She says, I know who your God is. I know when you came out of Egypt. I know the signs and the wonders that he's done. And she said, and now I ask for mercy and I want God to save me too. Okay, at that point, there wasn't such thing as salvation. So she, we can't say here that she gave her life to Jesus. But what she did is she declared who God was and she asked for mercy. And then she did what she was told to do. So Rahab did these three things, okay? And my wisdom point with Rahab is that wisdom surrenders a defined past and receives a redefined future. Wisdom surrenders a defined past and receives a redefined future. When you read about Rahab anywhere in the Old Testament, it's Rahab the harlot, 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 Rahab the harlot. We know nothing else about Rahab except it's Rahab the harlot. And if you read it in other translations, it's the prostitute's house, the prostitute Rahab, the prostitute Rahab, the prostitute Rahab. Okay. Once her family was saved, her name was changed in how she was referred to in the word of God. We jump over to the New Testament and it says Rahab, mother of Boaz. It doesn't say Rahab the harlot. You never actually see that name phrase listed again throughout the word of God. And so Rahab had a defined past, but because she surrendered that to God, she surrendered that to the will of God, she surrendered that to the obedience of God, and it redefined her future to where she's actually in the lineage of Jesus. And now she's Rahab, mother of Boaz, not Rahab the harlot. And God wants to do the exact same thing in each and every one of our lives. And so many times we can allow our past failures, our past mistakes, our past things that have been spoken over our lives, the past whoever we was, whoever we were, the past any of that to determine our destiny. And we allow our past to determine how far we think we're, we're able to go, how far I'll go in my relationship with Christ, how many things I'll step out and do because everybody knows these things about me. But we serve a God that does not care what our past is. If he cared what our past is, then what Jesus did on the cross means nothing. 
And so we serve a God that goes, I know what your past is, and I want to redefine that for your future. And you'll no longer be referred to as this. You're going to be referred to as this. We see the same thing that happened with Saul, who, who became Paul. We see it all throughout the Word of God that God takes people that were once this, and now they're this. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 5.17. So are we disqualifying ourselves because of past failures and mistakes? Therefore, if any person is engrafted in Christ, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old, previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. The fresh and new has come. We talked about that at the very beginning, that there was a miracle that took place when we said yes to Jesus. There was a miracle that took place when we said, God, I want to live for you. God, I want you to come. I repent of my sins. I want to be different. I want to be a child of God. When that takes place, the old goes away and the new has come. You are now seen as a child of God and you're seen as a result of the blood and not as a result of what you've done. And that is the power of a God that we serve. He is incredible. Your past, your past is washed away. The only one that can be controlled by our past once we give our lives to Jesus is us. God isn't limited by that. We will be the ones to limit ourselves by our past. God isn't. And so wisdom surrenders a defined past and receives a redefined future. You aren't big enough to mess up God's plan for your life. All right, next point. We're going fast. Everybody with me? Yeah? It's all right, they record these. You can go listen again. It'll work good. Uh, I mean, I hope. I don't know. It's even on Facebook. You can go watch it again. All right. Um, so the next point is Hannah is the next one we're going to talk about. Okay. Hannah, this story is powerful to me. We could stay all day on here, so I made it the shortest, so I purposely wouldn't stay all day on here. Okay. Hannah, Hannah longed to have a baby. Okay, she desired to have a baby, and she's praying and praying and praying. And then in the Old Testament, guys had lots of wives, okay? And so her husband had another wife, and this girl could, like, pop him out like nobody's business. Okay, she is a baby-making factory. And so then we have Hannah, who is definitely not, okay? And so then Hannah, the, the other wife is totally, I mean, she just harps on her constantly, makes fun of her, is just on her case because she can't have kids. And in Hebrew history, throughout the, the Bible, if you can't have kids, like, it's a problem. There's a whole lot of shame tied to that. Okay, that's what the Old Testament is full of. So you are a shameful person in general um, in, the, in the Old Testament. And so Hannah already feels that. Okay, she's longing to have a child, but then at the same time, she's got loudmouth over here who won't let it rest, and it's constantly harping on her. Okay, so she's a bit frustrated, but what does she do? She goes, okay, I'm going to go to the temple, and I'm going to pray this out because I'm about to wit's end. She doesn't freak out on anybody. She doesn't lose her temper. She goes to the temple, and she starts praying, and she's praying so hard, but she's not praying out loud. I'm, I'm sure because there's just, it's just an embarrassing situation to pray out loud, right? And so she's praying, and she's pouring out her heart before God, but she's mouthing the words instead of speaking them out loud. So then the priest comes in and says, you're a drunk. Get out of the temple. Okay, like if it wasn't bad enough, she's pouring her heart out. She's already frustrated. Her home life is a wreck. She comes to the temple, the one place that should be a safe place for her. And now the priest is calling her a drunk and kicking her out. Okay, this would be the time that anybody is going to go ape crazy. Like the priest died that day. Okay, that's, 
That's about where we'd be. And it says that she looked up and I'm like, sick him. And it says she recognized his authority. She recognized who he was and she chose to honor and respect and respond in that manner. And she said, priest, I'm not, I'm not drunk. I'm praying. She tells him what's going on. And he, and he listens. And she prays to God and she says, God, if you will give me a child, I'll dedicate to him and he will serve you all the days of his life. And that's what she prays. Hannah ends up pregnant. Hannah has Samuel. Hannah follows through with what she says and she takes Samuel back to the temple. She gives him to the priest, Eli, same priest, and says, I, I told you that I would dedicate this baby to you, I, I, that I would dedicate him to God. And so here he is, and she leaves. Okay, I want us to think about that for a minute, because you're like, oh, cool story. Any of you dropped your kids off at the church and left them for years? I know some of you are like, is that an option? <laughs> right? Okay. But imagine what she's feeling. Okay, she has prayed, she has believed for this thing, and it finally comes to pass, and she gives it to God and walks away. And I know she said, God, he'll serve you all the days of his life. Okay, you don't get that choice with your kids. They get that choice. Every single person gets their own choice to serve God or not. But here's what she did. She did her part, and she let God do his part. She imparted the word into him. She, she was faithful to what she said. She followed through with it. And so the point here is that wisdom surrenders emotion instead of acting on it. Wisdom surrenders emotion instead of acting on it. I want to see the importance here. Hannah had a lot going on. There was a lot going on inside of her. There was a lot going on behind the scenes. It would have been easy for her to fly off the handle. It would have been easy for her to be mad at God, be mad at the other wife, dispose of dead bodies. Um, I mean, there would have been a lot that she could have done out of anger. But she didn't. Hannah chose to surrender her emotion to God. It didn't say that she took it out on the other wife. It didn't say that she took it to her husband and blew up at him because she can't have kids. It didn't say that she took it to her friend. It didn't say that she put it on her Instagram or on her Facebook feed. It said that she went to the temple. And we know the kind of person that Samuel grew up to be. He was the very prophet that anointed David to be king. Because a mom said yes to Jesus. Because a mom said, I'm not going to give in to emotion. But then beyond moms to all of us, how many of us just give in to emotion when things aren't going our way, when we're facing unfair situations and we think that things should be different? And then nobody knows what I'm going through and they're going to call me out on something that isn't true? Who flies off the handle? Don't raise your hand, it's embarrassing. Everybody online is watching you. <laughs> who does that and how many of us go even in this moment I choose to honor my God because I'm more concerned with honoring my God than I am satisfying my emotion it's crazy right powerful 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 point there and I want to, I do want to read something here. Sorry, Larita, I didn't give you this, so I'll flip over there. I want to go to 1 Samuel 1. And you know, when we were singing, I raise a hallelujah, it says, my weapon is a melody. And there was something that I noticed here about Hannah. 
and I hope it's in the same place that the story is. Otherwise, I'll post it in the Facebook chat for those of you watching later, and you can go read it. But 1 Samuel 1, yeah, actually 2, chapter 2. It says that Hannah's song of thanksgiving, and I think this gives us a little bit insight into Hannah's revelation of God, because we can live life two ways, and wisdom can work two ways, and we can worship God two ways. We can worship and live our life responding to the circumstances around us, what we know to be true and the facts at hands, or we can live and worship and live life out of response of a revelation of him. And I think it's interesting that Hannah, this is after she's already given Samuel to the priest, okay? And it says that there's Hannah's song of thanksgiving. And two of the moms we're going to talk about today have this song. But it says, Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices and triumphs in the Lord. My horn strength is lifted up in the Lord. My mouth has opened wide to speak boldly against my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like you, Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. Do not go boasting so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him our actions are weighed and examined. The bows of the mighty are broken, but those who have stumbled equip themselves with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for bread. Those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren woman gives birth to seven. But she who has many children withers away. The Lord puts to death and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol the grave and raises up from the grave. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts up the needy from ashes of heap to make them sit with nobles and inherit the seat of honor and glory. For the pillars of the Lord are the Lord, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he set land on them. He guards the feet of his godly faithful ones, but the wicked ones are silenced and perish in darkness. For man shall not prevail by might. The adversaries of the Lord will be broken into pieces. He will thunder against them in the heavens. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth and he will give strength to his king and he will exalt the horn of his anointed. Okay, that's pretty powerful after you just dropped your kid off. Like maybe some of you come and pray that after you take me or children back there. They're like, Lord, you're the strength of my life, right? But... She prays this, but it talks so directly about her emotional state, the strength of God, where her strength come from, the fact that God is in control of everything, that the melody that she is singing is that I'm not in control, God is. The melody she is singing is I'm not my salvation, God is my salvation. What good is it for me to blow off the handle when I could submit that emotion to God? He's in control anyway. And I just think that's a powerful song when we sing that, that my weapon is a melody. I truly believe that here, that she was saying this for two reasons. She's sharing the goodness of her God. But the second reason is, you know, when we praise, when things are going hard, when we praise during seasons that we don't understand, when we choose to praise God for who he is and what he's done, and we praise out of that place of revelation of who he is, it changes things in us. And it changes things on our behalf. Hannah was a praying mom. So she took it to God. She responded in honor. So wisdom surrenders emotion instead of acting on it. Okay, we got two more. Can you guys stay in there for two more? 
They're really good ones. Like this one's a really fun story, I promise. Okay, so this next one, she actually doesn't have a name. She's just known as a wise woman. So I was like, yeah, let's talk about her. Okay, so what happened was David, as, as King David, he had gone back to Jerusalem, okay? And then there was this one guy named Sheba. And Sheba took a group of people basically living contrary I told Cutter last week, this story just speaks to my heart. I just think it's wonderful. So I'm going to figure out how to put it in this week's message. But so there's Sheba and this guy is living contrary to King David. So David sends a group of men and he goes, I need you to destroy them. I need you to kill him. Okay. He is not surrendered to the heart of our kingdom and he needs to be taken out. Okay. And we're going to put that in our terms in a minute. But so he sends these people. So these guys come to kill Sheba and they're in this walled city. And it says David's men have one of those, you know, those really big things that they run into walls and doors and stuff. So they're doing that to try to tear down the city. They're like SWAT. Okay. So this is SWAT of the old Testament and they're going to go kick some doors down and blow some things up. So they're here hitting this stuff, trying to get into this city. And this wise woman walks out. Okay. First of all, I'm like, wise. She just walks out while they're attacking her. So she just walks out to just have a little chat with the guy. So she comes out. Women are very persuasive. And see, I think she had the power of negotiation. Okay, that is an incredible power to have. All of us should carry some extent of negotiation in our lives. It does wonders on your behalf. But she had this gift. So she goes out and is just chatting. You know, why are why are you knocking on our door? Pretty much is what she's telling him. You're making such a ruckus out here. And he's like, we're here. We're going to kill Sheba. We're taking him out. Da -da 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 -da. He's so mad. And, and he just wants him dead. She goes, oh, you just want to kill Sheba? And he goes, yeah. And she goes, all right, I'll take care of it. And he goes, well, what do you want us to do? Are you going to go let us in so that we can kill him? She goes, no, you stand right here and I'm going to go inside. And in a few moments, I'm just going to throw his head over the wall. <laughs> I know you didn't even know that was in the Bible. Coolest story you ever heard. Sure enough, she goes inside. She gets her friends just off with his head and tosses it over the wall. Game over. David's men go home and they're no longer being attacked. That is excellent. Like, what a cool story. What a wise woman, right? Negotiation, no problem, no mess to clean up. Everything was fine. Okay? But, okay, so what's, you're like, what was the point of this? <laughs> All right. Wisdom takes responsibility and doesn't make excuses. Wisdom takes responsibility and doesn't make excuses. Here's the thing about what she did. Was she Sheba? No. She wasn't even related to Sheba. She was an innocent bystander. And here's what she didn't say. Well, the rest of us aren't Sheba. She didn't say, well, it's his fault. We're even in this. Why are you going to kill all of us? He's the one that's doing this. She didn't cast blame. She didn't make excuses. She didn't run and hide. She didn't have a meltdown. She took responsibility for what was in her house. And she went in, she cut the head off of it, and she got rid of it, okay? The reason that she was under attack is because there was something in her house that was contrary to the king. So now we put that in our lives. 
Maybe sometimes we've opened the door to attack in our lives because there's something in our lives and something in our homes, there's something in our families that's contrary to the king, that's contrary to the word of God. And we just make excuses for why it's there. We make excuses for why we're there. We make excuses for why we can't get rid of it. We make excuses and then we whine about the attack instead of going and taking care of what we need to take care of. We just let it stay there and wonder why we're under attack. There are areas in our lives, any area in our life that is contrary to the word of God and is contrary to the king that we serve opens the door for us to be under attack. And we have two choices. We can go cut the head off of it and get rid of it and take responsibility for it. Or we can leave it there and let it fester and make excuses for it and whine about it for the rest of forever. Those are the two choices we have. And we'll choose one or the other. And I know that seems harsh, like, oh, it's been so nice up until this point. Now we're cutting off heads and bringing in SWAT. So we're good. But those are the two choices, and one of them we will, we will live with. The thing about this that I love is that she took responsibility for her area. She took responsibility for something that wasn't her fault. She took responsibility for what was going on that she had the power and the ability to do something about. Too many of us just don't wanna get our hands dirty in our family, don't wanna get our hands dirty in our lives, don't we just rather stand or attack and whine about it? But we have the ability to go in, to cut the head off and get rid of it, just like she did. She is a wise, wise, wise woman. Wisdom takes responsibility and doesn't make excuses. What in our lives is contrary and are we willing to cut it off? Or do we make excuses, do we hide, or do we cast blame? Last one. Everybody need to like wiggle a little bit. There we go. Stretch out your hamstrings. They're falling asleep about now, which means it turns off your brain from listening to me. So everybody just like lift up your legs for a moment. All right, good work. We're gonna keep going. The last lady I wanna talk about is I wanna talk about Mary. And I do believe she is the most powerful mother throughout the word of God. And when I looked at her story, I was talking to Orin yesterday and I said, I feel like we've made Mary out to this cute story. But if we were really in the life of Mary, if we were to really put ourselves in the story, the power, the person that she was is remarkable. So first of all, an angel shows up on the scene and says, hey, I mean, hey, blessed and highly favored one. There's something I want to point out about this. If I said, who wants to be a blessed and highly favored one in here? All of us would be like, pick me, right? We all want to be blessed and highly favored. But what I notice in the, in the life of Mary here is that sometimes blessed and highly favored isn't just handed a bunch of things. Sometimes it's, hey, blessed and highly favored one, I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness and equipped you to walk out the plans and the purposes that I have for your life. But they're not going to be pretty. Because when we look at the life of Mary, was she blessed and highly favored? You bet. Was it an honor to be able to bring Jesus into the world? Absolutely. But first of all, she's getting married. She's planning a wedding and she's pregnant, but it's not her husband's. So first of all, we've got to chat about this. So now she's got to figure out that I've got to tell him and we're going to try to get to an understanding. And this is so not Jewish tradition. So I really could actually, she could be stoned for this. So she's in this situation that she could be taken out because of something God did. <laughs> like she could have, God did it. <laughs> yeah. That's really, I mean, when she's casting blame, that's all she's got. And so there's this struggle, but if we put ourselves in the story, oh my goodness, the weight of that, that she had to do. And then now that they're actually going to have the baby, the king's trying to kill him. He's out to get him. So now there's the stress of all of this happening 
Well, then you think she has the baby and she's raising the son of God. Like that's pressure enough. <laughs> Don't mess up. <laughs> Broccoli or Cheetos? What does the son of God eat? <laughs> Cheetos. Um, but, <laughs> okay. But so there's a stress that she carries that I've got to raise the son of God. Okay, that is a lot to handle. But she's blessed and highly favored. God's given her everything that she needs to be able to be the mother of Jesus or he wouldn't have asked her. God's given you everything that you need to be what you're supposed to be or he wouldn't have asked you. But we'll live according to the word or we'll live according to circumstance. That's not our wisdom point. It's almost our wisdom point, but I don't remember it word for word, so wait to write that down for a moment. But so that's our choice. But we've been equipped with every good work. It says that what God has started, he is faithful and just to complete. And it doesn't just, that's not just for Mary, that's for all of us. But then think about this side of Mary for a minute. Mary was told he was going to be the son of God. I read through what the angel told her multiple times. The angel, in his initial visit, just left out the little detail that he was going to die. It's not in there. I was shocked. I always really thought it was in there. But he didn't tell her that originally. Okay, so then Mary, raising the son, or, son of God or not, like that's her baby. That's her baby. 33 years. That's a long time. And then she watches him die. Sometimes we forget Mary's perspective here. And when we think about this from Mother's Day, she's blessed and highly favored. Right? So she has everything that she needs. She's equipped to carry out the plan that God has in her and through her, even for her children. Then she watches him die, not just die, a gruesome, torturous death. And she's there. It says that she was the last one at the cross. Actually, the last person that Jesus ministered to before he died was his mom. So she's watching this. Then he dies. He's raised up. Okay, so... <laughs> and then he leaves for the rest of eternity. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> okay? So think about Mary. It gives us a different, a different picture of who she is that, yeah, she raised the Son of God. But what she walked through to do so was anything but easy. Oren said, she went to hell and back before Jesus did. <laughs> that was his interpretation of the story. But for real, what she walked through what did she have to know about God? What did she have to know about the plans and the purposes that God had for her? What did she have to know, the revelation that she had to live in of who her father was to be able to do that? Because how many of us wouldn't freak out when he's being tortured? Freak out on God like, dude, what? are you kidding me? And then we watch him die for people that are killing him. And then he leaves. Like he came back, but then he's just gone. What would Mary have felt? Like we can look at it from yay, and we're very happy that all that happened. 
But there's a story that's always bigger than us that we're a part of. And sometimes when we say, God, I want to be blessed and I want to be highly, all of you are like, no, not me. I'm good. <laughs> okay. But what that means is that God will equip you for everything that you're walking through. Everybody in here, you look around the room, there's stories that you wouldn't believe are real. That people have walked through, that people have faced, that people have encountered. The hurt, the, the pain, the struggle, the fight, the fight to, for some of us that we're even here this morning. Cause World War Seven somewhere at some point. And we don't know that about the people in here. We don't know that about the people sitting next to us. But what I want to encourage you with is that God has equipped you to walk out everything, every plan and purpose that he has for you. You've already been equipped. You've already been given everything that you need. And so our wisdom point with Mary here is that wisdom is obedient to the word regardless of fact or circumstance. Wisdom is obedient to the word regardless of fact or circumstance. We have the choice that I will be obedient to the fact or I will be obedient to my circumstances or I will live obedient to the word of God. And there's a couple of things. I have two more scriptures here. Psalm 111.10. When we look at all of these women, we see something that's, that's repetitive. And, and it was their fear of the Lord and it was their obedience to who God was. Every single one of them, the only way they accomplished what they did was to have fear of the Lord and obedience to what he said. Psalm 111.10 says, The reverent fear and worship of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and skill. The preceding and the first essential, the prerequisite and the alphabet, a good understanding, wisdom, and meaning, having all those who do the will of the Lord, their praise of him endures forever. And then let's look at Proverbs 9.10. When it talks about the fear of God, I just want to explain this really quick. The fear of God is an odd respect of who God is. It's a trust in his word and in his character, and then it's living accordingly. When we talk about wisdom in children's ministry, because we explain the difference between just knowing something and then walking in wisdom. So when we, when we teach that in classrooms, we say that knowledge is knowing that the alligator will bite you. Wisdom is staying out of his pen. It's applying the knowledge that we've been given. Too many of us just live on knowledge alone instead of applying what that actually is into life circumstances. So fear of the Lord is living accordingly. There's no wisdom outside of God and there's no wisdom outside of his word. The reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The chief and choice part of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight and understanding. The reverent and worshipful fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <laughs> 